It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the What's Real Podcast, episode 163. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, co-conspirator, co-contributor, cohort, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on? The Jared. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, Ed, the J is pumped up. We're back on the What's Real podcast. We love doing it. We love our world. And I am so, I'm bringing the word back. Hey, Ed, I'm geeked once again. I'm so geeked this week and as pumped up as ever. I'm swelled. I went to the gym. I got the uh, the Pulsation Nation in full effect. And this week, hey, Ed, as you will fully explain, I'm as pumped up as our Nubian queens, the mothers, with that striated muscle. Let's do the one six tres. We have a triple feature for you this week here on the show, so to speak. Uh, we're going to head down to the last drive-in once again for another mystery double feature that is no longer a mystery. We're going to take a look at 2014's The Babadook and The Mothers from 1976. And of course, it is my turn this week on the movies that made us, and we will go back to 1996 for Sleepers. And of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much more, so... Uh, a couple interesting things to start off uh, the show this week. First off, the Pittsburgh Steelers schedule release, uh, along with the rest of the NFL, happened last week. Uh, so we figured we'd go through this here and uh, figure out how many wins and losses uh, we think the uh, the team's going to have here, the Jay, for the next season. So uh, get out your pen and paper, if you will, because, of course, that's something I didn't do before we started. So I'm just scrambling around here for pencil and paper because I'm an idiot. You know your boy, uh, but, hey, Ed, I'm an Eagle Scout, always prepared. All right. Well, let's see how this works uh, to figure out the records here for, I guess, a per- early prediction. I'm sure we'll do this again before the season starts, but it's fun to do it now. So uh, let's do each and every game straight down the line, and then we'll get back to each other for the records. So first game, the J is a home opener. Uh, first time, by the way, since 2014, the Steelers are opening at home and they're playing the San Francisco 49ers. So what do you think here, the J winner loss for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, this is a tough, tough matchup to start the season. Uh, luckily, it's a, a home game and we know how the Steelers play at home and on openers. They have a pretty good uh, record just overall for what it's worth throwing out some stats. That said, uh, just look at the schedule. <sighs> And this is a tough one, hey, Ed, but unfortunately, your boy, the J, is just going to call it like I see it here early on. I'm going to give them the L. Okay. Uh, I'm going to actually say that they win this game. And the only reason I'm saying that is because we've seen it two years in a row with them. Last year, they beat the Bengals game opener. And uh, the year before that, they beat Buffalo in the game opener or season opener. So uh, I'm going to give them that win, but that's the only reason why. Otherwise, if this was another game, I'd probably go with San Francisco, too. Uh, second game is going to be a Monday night game uh, against the Cleveland Browns. It's going to be in Pittsburgh as well. Uh, for this one, the J, I'm going to give them the W. So at this point, uh, two W's for the Steelers for me. Uh, you know, I'm giving throwing out the dubs against those Brownies. The third game is against the Raiders. Uh, this one is at Las Vegas week three, and it's Sunday night football, 820 on NBC. Uh, how do you think this one's going to shake out the J? I think the Raiders are going to be a better team this year uh, as far as how they were in comparison to last year. Uh, they, you know, they had some turmoil with the quarterback position and Derek Carr and everything. Uh, all that said, though, uh, I still think the Steelers get the dub against the Vegas Raiders. Uh, I'm actually going to give them a loss here. This is one that they typically never play the Raiders any good. That is true. So, so that's the first loss of the season for me. Uh, next up, we have a Sunday night game or Sunday afternoon game, I should say, week four at Houston. Uh, I'm going to go with the W here for the Steelers. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, Houston was one of the worst teams last year. They might be improving a little bit. Uh, they fired Lovey Smith. They have a new coaching system and stuff. So I, I don't foresee them being too great. I think the Steelers go over there. So, uh, so far, the Jay has a three and one start. And week five, uh, we will play the Baltimore Ravens at home. Uh, and it is Sunday, October 8th at 1 p.m. Uh, what do you think of this first game, the Jay, against uh, the Baltimore Ravens? This could go either way. You know, we've talked about this uh, just in our personal talk, talking NFL. Hey, Ed, we're, from what we see, a lot of pundits and talking heads and ESPN and everything we reference are, are saying that Baltimore is going to be really good this year, uh, 
be contending with the division predominantly against uh, Cincinnati and all that. A lot of people actually thinking the Steelers might be the worst in our division. Uh, talk for another day, but uh, just talking out loud. All, all that said, um, this first matchup, I'm going to give this to Baltimore. I'm going to give this my second L. Okay. I, I think the Steelers win this one as well. Uh, I see them starting the season off pretty pretty good here. And, of course, that means week six by week, so we'll skip ahead to week seven. Uh, this is at Los Angeles against the Rams at 4 p.m. on Sunday, October 22nd. Uh, I think the Steelers get the W here as well. Yeah, I mean, this this is another one, but I'm going to go Dobbs. All right. Week eight uh, is against the Jacksonville Jaguars Sunday at 1 p.m. How do you think this one shakes out, Jay? Uh, Jack, you know, Jacksonville showed last year that they were a contender. They made the playoffs. Um, young team, solid. This is a tough one and a toss-up, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a dub here. Yeah, I'm going to go with a loss on this one, uh, and it's mainly because they're going from the West Coast back to the East Coast to play a pretty good team at home. Uh, I'm going to go predict a loss against Jacksonville. Uh, week 9 is a Thursday night game, first one of the season for the Steelers, and they play the Tennessee Titans. I see a W here for the Steelers. Yeah, the first of two Thursday night games for the Steelers. That sucks Stupid. Ass. Stupid. Dub dub here, though, for this first Thursday night fiasco. Hate you against the tight tunnel. Okay. And week 10 uh, at home, Steelers on Sunday afternoon play the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I'm going to go with a W on this one as well, Jay. I like a dub here. I don't, I don't think Green Bay. I think they're going to kind of be uh, rebuilding. Same. Uh, week 11 uh, at Cleveland against the Brownies, uh, 1 p.m. Sunday game. Who do you like here, the Jay? I mean, Cleveland plays is tough, but I still can't. In a prediction, pick the Browns over the Steelers. I'm going to go. We we sweep them in the regular season. Same. Uh, week 12, uh, they play against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday afternoon uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, I think this is a loss for the Steelers. I'm going loss here as well. Week 13, Sunday afternoon game uh, at Pittsburgh against the Arizona Cardinals. What do you think here, the Jay? I'm going to dub. Same. Yeah, I think they beat the Cardinals. Uh, week 14, uh, at home once again, Thursday game, uh, short week, and it's going to be against the New England Patriots. Uh, I think this one is a W as well, the Jay. Yeah, the Patriots are, are still kind of getting their footing too, uh, the post-Tom Brady era, which has been a few years, but nonetheless, still thinking the, the Steelers get the win over them. And week 15, date and time to be determined at Indianapolis. Uh, what do you think here, the Jay? Yeah, Indianapolis is kind of a weird team. Uh, they struggled last year. Uh, everything that went on with with Matt Ryan was who was their quarterback last year? Was it Matt Ryan? Yeah, Matt Ryan. Yeah, yep. did they make any changes? They got Anthony Richardson. Uh, they got Richardson. Yeah, I don't know. I think we should be able to beat them. Let's go Dubs. See, I'm going to go with a loss here just because I think it's going to be the short week thing. Uh, it doesn't okay. matter the team, and I don't think Indianapolis is going to be good. I just think this is a game that the Steelers end up losing. Uh, week 16, uh, it's a 4.30 Saturday game, uh, two days before Christmas against the Cincinnati Bengals in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think they'll avenge their loss from earlier on in the season and beat the Bengals in week 16. I had a similar comment. Hey, Ed, I think they're going to split that series with both of us thinking they get a loss earlier in the year against Cincy, this home game. Uh, I think they close this one out and get the dub. And Sunday, week 16, or I'm sorry, week 17, uh, New Year's Eve game, 4 p.m. against Seattle at Seattle. Um, I think the Steelers actually pull the W out here, the J. I'm with you. I see them going over Seattle. And the last game of the year, week 18, date and time to be determined at Baltimore against the Ravens. Uh, who do you like in this one, the J? Uh, again, I, I went with a, lo a loss earlier in the season against Baltimore. I'm thinking we're going to split with them this year as far as predictions go. So this is going to be closing out the season strong with a dub over the Baltimore Ravens. And I agree with you about the season split, but I think this one is actually going to be a loss uh, in week 18. So let's go through here real quick and do some math and see what our records are. Uh, you can go first if you've already done it. I have not. So yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I, I went a little overboard here on predictions, hey, Ed, but that's why it's fun uh, trying to call it as we go. But I have them at 14 and three, which if we didn't go through the schedule like we did, I probably would have had, you know, if I just kind of made a random prediction looking at the overall schedule and just said like, you know, 10 and seven or something like that. But it is what it is. I, I, you know, going through it the way we did it here on the what's real podcast, I'm predicting the Steelers to be 14 and three, which would be 
ridiculous, <laughs> to be honest. And and I got him at twelve and five, so we'll have That's to see more realistic, I think. how that works out. That's very optimistic, obviously. Yeah, it's very especially for the day. I didn't even realize it. We don't even really know who's going to be on the team at this point, so <laughs> yes. we just wanted to go through and kind of see how that went. Uh, but there was something else football related too that I wanted to bring up here. The Jay, uh, every team's last four thousand yard passer. Uh, there was a list that that was basically brought out uh, this past week uh, on social media, and I thought it was interesting enough to bring up here on the show. But uh, let's go through real quick, and, and obviously we can give some quick thoughts on all these. Uh, Twenty sixteen was Arizona Cardinal Carson Palmer, uh, which is kind of surprising because I thought that uh, Kyler Murray would have at least hit four thousand yards once. That's what I thought. He's he hasn't hit four thousand yet, which you know kind of shows uh, what goes towards a lot of criticism that he's been getting. Because uh, yep. there was times where he really showed like he was a very special player, but then he would kind of fall off. So you could kind of see it. And then, yeah, when you start looking into the statistics and everything and you see that he's never broke that $4,000 plane, uh, you know, that some of those criticisms could be legit. Uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, Matt Ryan last did it in 2020. That's not a surprise at all. I would have uh, guessed that one. This one's interesting. The Baltimore Ravens, last time they had it was Joe Flacco in 2016. I knew that Lamar Jackson had never thrown for that many yards, but I didn't realize that it was uh, that long ago. And it makes sense because, as we know, Jackson's a hybrid quarterback, kind of that modern age quarterback that uses his legs as well. So he has a lot of rushing yards mixed in there. So I could see this. Uh, Josh Allen for the Bills last year. No surprise. That makes sense. Uh, this this one's interesting, too. The Carolina Panthers last time was 2011, and it was Cam Newton. Uh, and 4,000 yards is n- nothing to shake a stick at back in 2011. Guy, they weren't throwing the ball quite like they were nowadays. No, that's, yeah, that is surprising. And, and again, speaking of hybrid quarterbacks, Cam Newton's kind of like that, but it just shows you the arm that he had in his prime. Something that I knew ahead of time, and I was kind of the first thing I looked at when I went on the list was this. The Chicago Bears have never had one. They're <laughs> the, the wah, only NFL wah. team. Yep, only team in the NFL who has yet to have one. That's kind of funny. Uh, not a big surprise here. The Bengals and Joe Burrow last year. Yeah, it makes sense. This one's wild. Uh, the Browns last time they had it was Brian Sipe in 1980, the year I was born. Crazy. Yeah, Bernie Kosar never broke the 4,000 mark, which nope. somewhat surprised me because you know he used to sling the rock. But big surprise there, Brian Sipe. Yeah, 1980. Wild. Uh, Dallas Cowboys last had it with Dak Prescott in 2021, which I would have probably guessed. Yeah, I believe. makes sense. Uh, kind of surprising here. The Denver Broncos last one was Peyton Manning in 2014. So it's been, you know, nine years since they've had a 4,000 yard passer. Yeah, it makes sense to me that somebody more recent, um, you know, all things considered, like going back to Elway, that, you know, Peyton would be the one that, that probably broke Elway's for you know, the last time Elway threw for 4,000 for Denver. The Detroit Lions, this one didn't surprise me, but it might surprise a lot of people, was last season, and it was Jared Goff, who, by the way, I think is a super underrated quarterback at this point. We talked about it in our week-to-week NFL talk on the West World podcast, how Detroit had one of the more underrated and top-notch offenses and in, in scoring. You know, they put up a lot of points, and, and Jared Goff's the leader there. So, you know, not, not too surprising, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can uh, repeat that kind of play for the Lions offense. Absolutely. Next up, no surprise here, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, 2021, his last MVP. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, The Houston Texans, 2020, Deshaun Watson, last full season he played there, so that's not a big surprise. Eventually why he would get paid out the ass. Uh, This one, it wouldn't surprise me here, uh, but it's a pretty good accomplishment, was uh, the Indianapolis Colts, Phillip Rivers in 2020. Yeah, no, that makes sense because uh, he came in after Andrew Luck, who I'm sure broke the 4,000 plane before him. Yep, agreed. Uh, 2022, Trevor Lawrence for the Jags, no surprise there. Patrick Mahomes, no surprise for last season for the, uh, the Chiefs. Um, 2021, Derek Carr did it for the Raiders, no surprise there. I think I would have probably guessed that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the Chargers, Justin Herbert did it last year, no surprise. Uh, the Rams, Matthew Stafford did it in 2021 when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, the Dolphins, this is kind of surprising. Ryan Tannehill lasted it there in 2015. Yeah, Tannehill is another somewhat underrated guy, you know, obviously in Tennessee now, uh, but he, yep. he can play some quarterback. 
the Vikings, Kirk Cousins last season, no surprise. Uh, th- the only guy to appear on this list twice is up for the New England Patriots 2019, Tom Brady. Of course. Uh, this is wild. Uh, the New York Jets, last time somebody did it, was Joe Namath in 1967. That's wild. Also kind of surprising, the Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz in 2019. That is, yeah. The, the um, Jalen Hurts didn't crack the 4,000. He'll probably do that this year, though. Yeah, would you would think, yeah. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, this this one doesn't surprise me. Ben Roethlisberger in 2018. Uh, it's kind of been a while. I, here's a question. Do you think uh, Pickett breaks the 4,000 mark this year? Oh, good question. Uh, Prediction-wise, I hope he does, but I don't think he will. Yeah, I think it'll be really close. That That's like – it could be anywhere from like 3,800 to like 4,200 depending on, you know, how they're throwing. But I'm, it's it, – It'll be close. I'm predicted more of a balanced offense with how they kind of stacked up the line and running game and things like that. So that's that's why I kind of lean towards him not hitting 4,000. Uh, put it this way. If George Pickens has like his, you know, like all NFL season, he'll definitely hit 4,000. That's something that needs to happen for that. Yeah. To actually I ho- like I there. said, I hope so. Uh, this one's another surprise, too. The San Francisco 49ers last did it in 2000, and it yeah. was Jeff Garcia. That was a big surprise. Yeah, 20-plus years since a 4,000-yard passer in San Fran. Not really a surprise to us on the show, but this one might be a surprise to a lot of people who don't listen to us. Uh, Seahawks was last year with Geno Smith, who had a fantastic season. Comeback player of the year. Uh, of course, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady shows up on here again last season. This one's wild. Uh, the Tennessee slash Houston teams uh, last was done in 1991 by Warren Moon. Warren I don't Moon know if, gets on the list. I, I would have thought McNair probably got close to that maybe once, but I yeah, guess again not. he was he was a running style quarterback, so you don't put up as many passing yards. And I was wrong, by the way. That there's a couple more teams because I apparently looked this out of order. Uh, Drew Brees did it for the Saints in 2017. Not too surprising. Uh, Eli Manning did it for the Giants in 2018, and uh, I was wrong. There was somebody who was also on here twice. Kirk Cousins. Yeah, Kirk was on Washington here twice with Brady uh, in uh, 2017. So, uh, you know, not too many surprises, but definitely a few in there. I thought it would be kind of interesting to go through and, you know, see what we kind of thought of it because, you know, I, I knew at least a couple of these were like, whoa, whenever I first Exactly. At no, it's a cool list. Definitely worth discussing. Um, we're, you, you see how NFL starved and pro football starved we are. Uh, we're not going to talk about the XFL championship that took place over yeah. the weekend. No, we're not that desperate, but uh, some cool lists and definitely wanted to get some Steeler talk on here. And, and just looking at it, you got to say boo-hoo. As we said, I think the biggest standout is the fact that the Chicago Bears have never had a 4,000-yard <laughs> passer. And we kind of always said that, though. They've never had that quarterback. You know, you go back to, like, Jim McMahon, but he wasn't really, like, a stat guy. He was more of an intangible kind of guy yep. and character and things and like Jay Cutler was a decent NFL quarterback he made his money but he wasn't like elite and yeah it just shows you man we we, we kind of always said they Chicago's never really had that standout top tier quarterback and this shows why the only team currently in the NFL that never had a 4,000 yard passer and it's a good question to be asked too can Justin Fields be the first one ever to do it this season uh, again, I think that might be close. As long as he can stay injury-free, I think it's very possible. But might not be the year because you know how that goes in Chicago. Regardless of what they have at quarterback, they don't have a lot else surrounding him. So That's the issue. Uh, we'll have to see how that works out. But we are up against our very first commercial break, and that's it for the football talk, guys. It's nothing but movies from this point forward. Uh, first up, we're going to be down at the last drive-in with Joe Bob and Darcy for 2014's the Babadook. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 164 of the What's Real Podcast. We're taking another trip on down to the last drive-in with our friends Joe Bob and Darcy. It's another mystery double feature. And we have a double dose of wrestling previews as we both preview AEW's Double or Nothing 2023 and WWE's Night of Champions 2023. Then it's another original, unoriginal, what's real segment. It's the return this month as we've been doing week to week of the movies that made us. Ha! The 
host, Timothy Gaze, with the Whistle Podcast, here representing GRG, or Goose or Goose, for the 164th episode of the show, where the guys get crazy talking about dinosaur birds, Bo Jackson having hiccups, purposeful plane crashes, dead bodies at Arby's, cheating fishermen, where are prosthetics? Hey, yeah, where are prosthetics? Huh. Hello? Ow! And all that here. much more next week on episode 164 of the What's Real Podcast. And we're back, and once again, we're down at the last drive-in with Joe, Bob, and Darcy. First up of the mystery double feature is 2014's Jennifer Kent-directed The Babadook. A single mother, plagued by the violent death of her husband, battles with her son's fear of a monster lurking in the house, but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her. Uh, Whenever this originally came out in 2014, it was like a movie that had huge buzz. I was actually kind of surprised the Jay. Uh, whenever I was like going back and I realized it was from 2014, it yeah, doesn't it feel is. like it was that long ago. Uh, so that was kind of surprising. Uh, both of us had seen this before. Uh, it stars Essie Davis as Amelia, the the mother, uh, who's pretty solid in this one overall. Uh, Noah Wiseman uh, is the little kid. He plays Samuel in the movie. Uh, who is the most annoying child character maybe in movie history, but a great performance by a six-year-old actor. Um, and, you know, a bunch of character actors, essentially. Uh, and something that felt like it was trying to break new ground at the time, for sure. Uh, it's an interesting horror flick in a lot of different ways. Has absolutely no body count. Um, is fairly creepy at times. Uh, but basically the the character of sam is going to grate on your nerves like a motherfucker um and i didn't you know i remember that from watching it originally but this time i was like holy shit man it's like unbearable how much they they put you through as far as that goes and se davis's performances his mother is a really good one that joe bob brought up several times when they were talking about it um because she's absolutely withered in this movie from what's going on in her life and it's a it's a pretty strong performance overall. Uh, so a couple of good performances here kind of take this one above just normal level stuff to me. I agree. Yeah, this I always like this movie. Uh, modern classic of a bit, the Majora's Household, because I don't know if I'm outing myself on some parenting here, but my, it was my daughter's favorite movie since she was like a toddler. <laughs> so my daughter's been able to watch horror movies and like we don't watch like violent sexual shit, obviously, but stuff like this, which I will say uh, as we talk, it's not rated officially. So, yep. um, you know, and, and like you said, there's no like real gruesome stuff. It's basically imagery and, and just the way they, they do the story and everything and, and the psyche things you know and, and and like you said it's definitely carried by se davis's turn as amelia um you know like you mentioned joe bob mentions that like how many different emotions that she had to exude in this film as an actress was just ridiculous like everything from you know showing the grief to frustration to humility to you know just breaking down completely to then pretty much losing it. And and that's, that's one of the big aspects of the movie that uh, this, this watch reminded me of is the turn, because as you mentioned, he had Samuel who the actor, the kid actor, Noah Wiseman does his part. He just grates on your nerves completely. And that's what he's supposed to do. But my point is, once Amelia starts really losing it, you know, going into the third act of the film towards the end, then it kind of turns and you start feeling for Sam because then he gets kind of, you know, he starts being like really nice to his mom, like, mom, I just love you. I just want you to be okay. And that's when she's basically, you know, possessed, if you will, by the Babadook and is like, you know, shut the fuck up you know, and stuff like that. And he's just this scared little kid and he's not annoying anymore at that point. There's also that point in the movie, too, though, before that stuff kind of happens where she kind of snaps out on him a couple times and you're kind of happy she does it right. as the viewer. She so finally, it takes you yeah. through that arc. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's it starts a, off very, character thing. very subtle, which is great for the, for the buildup of it. You know, she she sticks up for him a lot. You know, his aunt, uh, Amelia's uh, mother, teachers, can't stand him. Shit. Teachers. He gets basically 
not fully expelled, but they want to put him in like a special learning program and things like that because of his behavioral issues and everything. But, but yeah, she kind of sticks up for him and she's like, I'll take him to another school. You people are ridiculous. And then, like you said, slowly but surely she starts snapping on him a bit and then it just builds and builds. And dude, I've heard this. I remember reading about this from people at the time the movie came out, but Joe Bob kind of brought it up again too. His, did you see the part where he was talking about his whole theory on the Babadook? Yeah. And it's that there was no Babadook. It was just the storybook that the mother created because it looks like a homemade kind of storybook and shit like that. Like, And it's just there, the movie's from the mother's perspective and things like that, too. So it can also just be showing this woman's descent into madness right, and dealing with her son. Uh, so And it kind of works both ways. Like, it doesn't matter if you subscribe to that or not. It does still work. Um, so, like, I kind of like that as well. But, um, but yeah, overall, I mean, the Babadook's a pretty good flick. It, it's not anything mind-blowing. And it's something that I will say probably won't hold up to a ton of viewings. Like, this is my second or third time seeing it. And I'm already to the point where, like, I won't watch this again for years. But it's still really good. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. And I, I was kind of surprised, though, that this was a choice for Joe Bob because it was a very popular movie when it came out. That's typically not something Joe Bob tries to tackle. But uh, so be it. It was a surprise, and I'll take it. It wasn't a bad watch. And as you mentioned, hey, it's crazy as we sit here in 2023 that this film turns 10 years old next year. Next year. <laughs> which yeah, is, that's crazy. Is, is really nuts. But, yeah, I, I like films like this to take a premise – that is set in in being realistic as far as like the mental health a- aspects and anxiety and, and depression and grief, you know, with her losing her her husband and everything like that, with the imagery of this Babadook character. And, and that part really, to me, is what makes this movie stand out is just those cool parts. Like, for example, when she goes to the police station after the book returns, when she yep. threw it away and she burns it. And then she starts getting calls from he's like Baba Duck 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 on the phone. So she eventually goes into the police station and she's trying to explain to them what's going on. And the Baba Duck appears in the police station behind the cop and freaks her out yep. to the point she just runs away from them. But it's those little, you know, those cool little teases that that he like he'll pop up because it, it is a cool like look. Like for those that, that might not know, it, it's basically like this creature with a top hat. And this long coat and these long fingers and everything. It's a really creepy kind of thing. And they, they use it really well in this. Yeah, I always kind of thought that it was supposed to look uh, just like the lead character of London at Midnight. Which is, the movie's lost, but the imagery is is there. Is, you know, the monster. I think they just kind of redid that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I always liked this one. I thought it was a pretty cool flick. Uh, again, surprised to see it on the last drive-in. Uh, and even more surprising when you look at the uh, second feature uh, of the of the double feature, but uh, pretty fun. Ninety four minutes moves pretty quickly. Uh, has pretty good atmosphere and stuff like that as well. So yeah, Babadook's definitely a winner. Uh, I would say. And uh, as we do here on the show, the J hit us with a tagline for the Babadook. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. Hey you. All right, and as we do here on the show, we have a four star or five star rating scale. Uh, I'm going to give the Babadook three and a half. All right, I'm uh, yeah, definitely like it a little more than you. The the Majora's Family household the horror movie that they love. Uh, go with four, a solid four stars for the Babadook. All right, so we are up against another commercial break, but whenever we come back, we're on to part two of the last drive-in. It is from 1976, directed by Sirio Santiago. We're talking the mothers, so. Stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, What's Real Pod at gmail.com today. Come on down to Joe Bob's last drive in show. The 
And we're back, and it is time for the second feature of The Last Drive-In, 1976, directed by Sirio Santiago. This is The Mothers. A band of female pirates go undercover at a prison camp on a coffee plantation to rescue their leader's sister. Uh, at 101 minutes, this is also kind of a benchmark here for Joe Bob because it is not a horror movie. Uh, one of the first times that they've done that on the show specifically. Um, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, obviously, the title uh, had to deal with Mother's. So Mother's Day is kind of the, the, the theme. vibe of the show. Yep. Um, but weird that uh, Joe Bob continually referred to this as a black exploitation movie, where I've always kind of seen this more as a women in prison movie, uh, especially with the fact that it's, you know, shot in the Philippines and, you know, basically like just a thrown together cast and everything. Uh, also kind of weird for this movie and the time period is uh, there's not like a white hero woman. It was the group essentially, and they're all black women. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, and, you know, this is an interesting flick for Joe Bob, not just because it, it doesn't necessarily fit the mold, uh, but also because for the first one for them to pick, they went for something like this. Now, uh, I actually like The Mothers. I don't love it, but I think there's a lot better women in prison movies that they could have shown uh, than this one. But still interesting because Sirio uh, Santiago uh, is a filmmaker that is very well known in cult circles. He's also directed TNT Jackson, Vampire Hookers, Death Force, Firecracker, Wheels of Fire, Naked Vengeance, uh, Demon of Paradise, uh just a bunch of like schlocky B movie stuff. Cage Fury is another one that he did. Um, but you know, definitely somebody who, who works pretty well in this genre. Um, but this is, you know, probably not at the top of the list as far as his best movie goes. That's how I felt. I wasn't huge on this. Uh, I thought it was surprisingly kind of slow at parts for me. And typically this is something that's completely up my alley, as you know, Hey, Al. um, you know, you mentioned like the all black women, uh, main leads, which we might have to add the other specific description to that very hot black women yes. that are former playboy former, playmates and yes. stuff. So yep. there's definitely some, some boobage, which is always a good thing. My, my highlight has to be the fight scenes. Of course, fucking yep. hilarious the yep. choreography is goofy as hell it's everything that you would expect in you know some semblance of an exploitation movie from 76 but yep. uh that that stuff was just great and it, it was cool i mean they put the effort in they're, they're like doing cartwheels and flips and shit like that you know completely unrealistic too because he's like small statured hot women are just destroying like multiple soldiers and shit, which yep. is the point to these movies. Don't get me wrong, but uh, that definitely stood out as a, a highlight whenever the, the, the fight music would hit. Cause there's like a specific portion of the soundtrack, like, you know, like most films, especially at this era where like the fight started and everything gets amped up. Uh, so, yep. so that was one of my first highlights. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, uh, Jeannie bell is basically like the, it's like a Pam Greer ripoff. Her character, so which was very common at the time, that type of thing. Um, but it's it, this is one of those movies too that, like, once the further you get into this, like the women in prison movies, stuff like that, it becomes more and more forgettable. Um, like I said, it's it's decent, but it's not one of the best of the genre. It's definitely not one of the worst. Uh, the pr biggest problem with it is it's definitely like clunky. It's it's a little too long. Uh, the pacing and it's not perfect by any stretch of the means. But uh, but nonetheless, it's still fun at points, and you know you're basically just watching a bunch of hot chicks beat the fuck out of a bunch of dudes and funny yeah. choreography. Exactly. Uh, but in between that, it gets a little long in the tooth sometimes. But it's definitely not a bad movie, and it's something that you know for the B feature on Joe Bob, uh, I could see being a winner. But it's just from Babadook to this, it's a very weird transfer for in between the you know the two movies. For which sure. I like that. I like the diversity that can be done. You know, you take the simple kind of okay, we're going to use the theme. Uh, this is coming out Mother's Day weekend, so we're going to do the Mother's Day theme. And other than that, they're going to be completely different. You know, this one's just called the Mothers. You know, and the Babadook yeah. just is, is basically the, the 
one of the leads is a mother. Uh, but yeah, one one point that I wanted to make, because this was a movie that you put on my radar head that you might compare it to, just to make the comparison on something that might be be better uh, on what we're saying is the, like the big birdcage. Yeah, big birdcage is way better. Than yeah, this. so you know it's like when you compare it to something like that. But but again, it did have its its moments. It had its character actors. Uh, Tony Corian, that was like the fat pig running the island, keeping yep. the girls as slaves. Like he stood out. Uh, some of the other pirates and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it, it's cool because like the setting's cool too, with like the island in the Philippines and and everything and the camp. Uh, so so there was there was parts, but but yeah, like I said, I was kind of. Uh, personally with you know i might want to mention too this is a uh, first watch for the j on the mothers here on the last drive-in and uh, i think i was expecting a bit more uh, because i do love shit like this but i was still entertained by it in the end too yeah and of course i wanted to bring this one in it's a quote from the movie it's like just like every other snake i've ever met can't leave my tits alone yeah like so it's like you know it's not the best written thing but it's still funny and it's entertaining funny. nonetheless but <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah kind of a surprise for the last driving with Joe Bob and a Serio Santiago movie nonetheless and they got the mothers so uh but the J for the mothers do we have a tagline out of the steaming slave markets come the ravaging sea savages the mothers and we do on the show here a five star rating scale the J what are you giving the mothers i went two and a half hey yo yeah, I'm going to give this one three, liked it a little bit better than you, but same ballpark nonetheless. Yep. Uh, and I'd like to see more stuff like this shown on The Last Drive-In for sure, because I think there's a whole world of movies out there they have really yet to get to. And obviously, uh, you know, the way I know Joe Bob, it's not all horror movies. So um, I'd be more than happy to see him talk about some other stuff. This was a, a little trivia thing I, I ran in on IMDb. I thought it was worth bringing it up about The Mother's. It states that one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies, according to a December 2019 review posted to the website of his Hollywood theater, The New Beverly, which is kind of surprising. You know, you would think, like we said, like maybe something like The Big Birdcage along these lines. Yeah, I feel like I've heard every movie at some point is Quentin Tarantino's favorite. <laughs> yeah, people so just I don't say know. that. Yeah, yeah and the, or he just says that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could be either or, but... But, uh, but yeah, The Mothers is fairly interesting. I'm glad it got a, a, a new audience for the last drive-in. So uh, we're up against another commercial break, however. And whenever we come back, it is time for the movies that made us with 1996 Sleepers. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Gross Fest returns in a big way Saturday, April 5th, 2023. We're going to party like Gross Fest 2018 because unlike other conventions, we are sticking with pre-COVID prices. Only $10 a ticket to get in. It's at the Comfort Inn Conference Center, Pittsburgh East. That's the Comfort Inn Conference Center, Pittsburgh East, 699 Rhode Eye Road, Pittsburgh, PA, 15235-412-244-1600 or www.comfortinpittsburgh.com. A one-day event with guests, movies, filmmakers, and vendors from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Gross Fest 2023. And we're back, and it is time once again for the movies that made us. This time, we're going back to 1996 with director Barry Levinson's Sleepers. Two gangsters seek revenge on the state jail worker who, during their stay at a youth prison, sexually abused them. A sensational court hearing takes place to charge him for the crimes. Uh, this movie has a pretty much an all-star cast with Kevin Bacon, Billy Crudup, Robert De Niro, uh, Ron Eldred, Minnie Driver, um, Dustin Hoffman, Bruno Kirby, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt, Brad Renfro, uh, and I can go literally on and on. There's a bunch of people in this fucking movie. Um, but it's kind of an interesting and weird movie all in one, too, because you essentially get three movies in one with this because you get them as kids, uh, them as kids at their time in the, the youth facility, and then this whole storyline of what happens as they're all adults. Um, and I, I've always kind of liked it because of that. And, uh, you know, I'd, it'd been a really long time since I've gone back and watched this. Exactly. Um, so, so I was happy to do it. Um, I don't think it holds up quite as well as I remember it, but it's still a pretty good flick overall. It is. It's really good. I, I have a personal connection to this because 
Um, I'm an avid reader, but we talk about it. Hey, Ed, just so little time. And, and it's based off of uh, this film, a novel by uh, the, you know, one of the main protagonists, of course, Lorenzo Shakes Carcaterra. And I read that on one of our family vacations in Florida. So that always stuck out. So I, I read it well before it was even announced that it was going to be a movie. You know, so that was one of those cool things. You know how that goes. Like you, you read a book that you're really into and you find out it's going to be a movie. You're like, cool. I wonder what they're going to do with it. And then in this case, you find out it's going to be Kevin Bacon, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt, De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, Mini Driver, Brad Renfro. It goes on and on. Add in Billy Crudup, like just, just crazy, the cast in this. And uh, I just really kind of, it has the classic vibe of Goodfellas, even though it's a completely different thing, but all those kind of classic gangster movies that we love. It has that feel with Jason Patrick's narration. Like you said, the flashbacks to like the sixties and everything that's going on there in, in New York in the sixties. And, and, and we could go from there, but yeah, that, that'd be my first take on it. Hey, Ed is, is uh, reading the novel well before the film came out. So I had a special place for this. Yeah, and it's a movie that um, you know they they it pretty much sets them up as kids really well, and then they basically destroy their youth uh, as the story goes on. Uh, but it's it's kind of a harrowing movie, and the the end's interesting. The characters are interesting. Um, you know, there, there's some you know there's some stuff in this movie that there's some style to it as well. Um, you know, Jason Patrick, though, on the other hand, is kind of like a secondary character, which is very weird, especially for somebody like him at the time. Um, but the the kid actors are all really good. That whole part of the story is crazy. Kevin Bacon plays an all-time great creep. Um, I've always kind of had an affinity for this movie one way or another because, uh, you know, just since the first time I saw it, I just thought it was really good. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the coming-of-age stuff, too, and then it's also kind of grimy and, you know, it's set in New York City and things like that, too. And the characters are varying, you know, the types of people that they end up being as adults. Uh, and it's obviously from a, a lot of that stems from what they went through as kids. And it's kind of like the whole thing of like, what if you made a big mistake as a kid that essentially is going to fuck up the rest of your life? Um, that's also a running theme in the movie, too, especially as the, the adults get older and two of them are associated with a crime. And, you know, they're all kind of working together to kind of, you know, get up the same, to get them off of the crime, essentially. And they're all vastly different people, but they're only connected because of their childhood. So uh, it's it's an interesting full circle movie. And, uh, you know, De Niro's really good. And this is the priest, um, you know, and they, that's a character, too, that goes through, like, the whole premise of the movie, like, from when they're kids to when they're adults and everything. And. It's all about their Hell's Kitchen neighborhood growing up and everything, too. Mix that in with it. That's where, like, the good... It's like Goodfellas and Bronx Tale mixed together exactly. in a movie. Exactly, yep. Um, but it's a pretty good flick overall. And like I said, it doesn't hold up as well as I thought it would, but it's still a pretty decent movie overall. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's just so many characters involved, and it covers so much ground with the flashbacks, the modern-day stuff, as you mentioned, Hey Ed, and how they they pace everything, which is is pretty well-paced. And, and of course, uh, you know, the kids start doing small errands for local gangster King Benny. Uh, so that, that was another prominent character, and this was King Benny, and, and that was a cool character, and that kind of gives you the vibe, as you just mentioned, uh, of like a Goodfellas and stuff, and then you know working with the mob. Uh, one, one of the standout scenes was when they are in the, the facility in the juvenile detention center, the Wilkinson Home for Boys. Uh, at one point, they are asked or forced, however you want to put it, to participate in the annual football game, and that takes place yeah. between guards and inmates. So the one character, Michael, convinces this inmate, uh, the young black kid, uh, Rizzo Robinson, because they know he's like a hell of an athlete. And it takes some convincing, but they convince him to help win the game. And that's a great scene because it's the first time that these kids have any semblance of power or control uh, against the guards, of course. And, and then in turn, the guards are humiliated for, for getting beat in the football game. So that that causes the guards to move the boys directly after the game, the solitary confinement for weeks. They're beaten, and Rizzo ends up uh, not surviving uh, the beatings. And they just tell his family that he died of pneumonia. And that part was brutal. And they also connected with his brother, uh, who's a big-time drug dealer in the city, uh, called Little Caesar, who, by the way, I forgot, was played by Wendell Pierce, who is yeah. Bunk 
from the wire. So that that was kind of a surprise too. And dude, another character that I really like in this movie too, um, that I, I've always kind of like whenever I go back and watch the movie or something, it's always a character that grabs my attention. But it's uh the fat man character. Yeah. Like they 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 call him Fat Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh like he's definitely like a Puerto Rican that runs a store in the neighborhood. Um but it's it's a good character and it's a character once again played by Frank Madrano uh who goes throughout the entire length of the movie just like Robert De Niro's character does cuz they know him as an adult too. Um and of course Dustin Hoffman in a small role is like an idiot alcoholic uh, lawyer. Um so there's that and that you know it it's just it's a solid movie all around. It, you know, it's not perfect by any stretch of the mean, but I always thought it was entertaining and had some good performances, some good child performances as well. And again, dude, it, I know we say this a lot here on the show when it comes to certain things, but like this is the kind of movie you just don't really see anymore. Like they don't really make movies like this anymore. It doesn't seem like like a coming of age kind of story type thing based in, you know, years ago. Like they're just not really doing that type of thing anymore. So uh, it's another reason why I really like this one. Yeah, one, one, one of the highlights for me, and it, you could maybe describe it as a low light because it's a gut punch because it's so brutal. And so what happens is due to the, the prank that they played where the elderly man ends up getting hurt, which is why they get sentenced to the juvenile detention center, you know, stealing this this man's hot dog cart and all that. But Shakes kind of runs away. So since he wasn't directly involved with the cart falling into the man, he got like a lesser sentence. So he's given six to 12 months and the others are given 12 to 18 months, which means obviously he's the one that's going to get out a little early. So shortly before his release, he is like, all right, guys, look, when I get out, we got to publicly report this abuse. But every one of the other kids refuse. And and Michael specifically asserts that no, no one would believe them or care. And they end up basically just vowing to never speak of it again. And then the night before Shakes is released, since he's the one getting out earlier, Kevin Bacon's character Noakes and the other guards arrange what's called a quote-unquote farewell party. And that's the most brutal thing ever. The four boys are brutally raped to a higher extreme. And and it really just, you know, it it just makes it so you as the audience members see how brutal it actually was what these four boys were going through to set up the later scenes with John and Tommy – you know, unexpectedly encountering Noakes, killing him, and then going into the whole big trial. Yeah. And I do think the movie loses some of its steam in the last act, which is kind of unfortunate because it is the big crescendo of the movie. Um, there is some good stuff in there, like whenever they get De Niro's character to to testify and things like that. But it just loses steam from the, the rest of the movie, I thought. Um, and, and it's not paced as well as the rest of the movie was either. But it's still a great flick for the most part. It's it's unique. It's, it's nitpicky. It's unique too because the story kind of goes where Brad Pitt's uh, a lawyer, but he's working for the prosecution. Yep, and, and he's basically throwing a trial. And he's throwing the trial in a very, very, you know, planned out specific way because obviously, you know, he he doesn't want to get caught doing it. So they they have a very like very detailed system for him to be able to kind of chip away and, and fucking up the court case for the prosecution and everything. So I, so I did like that. Uh, one thing I did want to mention with bringing up the, uh, the novel novelization, because I thought this was, was kind of, uh, you know, like a standout little tri- trivia here and tidbit. Uh, so the first words spoken in the film are, this is a true story about friendship that runs deeper than blood. And then this goes on to say, this is through Wikipedia, that the truthfulness and factual accuracy of the film and the book upon which it is based, as I'm talking about, they were challenged by the Sacred Heart of Jesus Christ in school in Manhattan, which is the school attended by Lorenzo Carcaterra that wrote the book and that was Shakes, and by the Manhattan District's Attorney's Office, among others. Carcaterra has acknowledged that most details in the book were fictionalized, but maintain that the events described in the book actually occurred. So it's one of those things where I think, you know, th- this this did occur, but to make it kind of a more epic story as we do, yep. you, know, it, it, you know, a lot of it was kind of filtered in, but the main events did happen. But that's something I, I did want to mention because I thought that was a kind of important point that Lorenzo Carcaterra, you know, did acknowledge it as well. Yeah, and it's weird too because I've never really taken this one as a true story. Like, I'm sure there's parts that are and parts that aren't, 
but I've just kind of taken it as the movie just for what film. it is. Right. That's yeah, like I think the first like the first time I ever saw this, I had, I just thought it was a fictional movie. So uh, you know, and that kind of worked for me anyway. So it doesn't really matter to me if it's a true story or not. And plus, like we've talked about, that's done so often and it's usually done so far from the real mark that it's almost like whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh but nonetheless uh, you know, still a pretty good movie. Uh, this is something I saw in my teenage as a teenager, and it's kind of followed me through the years. Uh, it's been a while since I went back and revisited, it, so I was happy to do that. Uh, it is on, I believe, HBO Max right now. That's where uh, I watch. If you guys want, yeah. yeah. If, if you guys want to check it out, it is on there. Um, but yeah, man, uh, pretty pretty solid choice. And I know this one was a movie that both of us were pretty fond of, so I figured I'd bring it up here on the show. Yeah, it was a good call, Hand. And I, I was in the same boat. It's been some time to watch it, so I was happy to. And and one one thing, I, one last thing I did want to mention: just give a shout out, shout outs galore on the What's Roll podcast. That's what we do. But Brad Renfro, rest in power. Oh yeah, uh, you know, untimely passing. But he was uh, tour de force of a young actor. Uh, th- th- this movie was uh, nominated for a bunch of different awards. Best Original Dramatic Score was the only Academy Award that it was nominated hmm. for, and it, that was John Williams of, of course, I didn't Star even realize that. Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park fame. Yeah, neither did I. Uh, but it did win at the London Film Critics Circle Awards. British Supporting Actress of the Year was Minnie Driver for the win. Okay, so fair enough there. Uh, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We have one more commercial break left, and whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show, and we're going to talk some goofs. So Stay tuned. We'll be back right after that, right after that, right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J, once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real Podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening, week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube Deference to be the unsung Churchill Pictures we create worlds hey everybody this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs and we're back and it's that time once again so the J what do we got this week on the goof front as always hey Ed week to week taking it in the beautiful lagoon and waterfall and look at this hey Ed a new animal to the Add it to the list. A beluga whale is in the lagoon there. So what a beautiful did you say, creature. Did you say nude animal or new animal? Well, all animals are nude. Hey, eel. This isn't a well, Disney flick. I mean, yeah, there's a fucking koala bear over there wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, Mitch. Uh, that's his name. I didn't meet him yet. You know me. I name all of them. That's all true. All creatures. But welcome, everybody, to this beautiful, serene setting and goofs. Our goofs 163. We're starting off with a, a quick viral video. Hey, you know, I had to send you this one. Uh, this is through, I'm going to send it through Twitter as we do live on the show uh, via direct message. And uh, the Twitter handle is idiots getting hurt. <laughs> and this one's titled uh, time to go to a dentist. And this dude's trying to do a stunt at some sort of like festival in Denmark. Jesus. And uh, yeah, he breaks his, uh, his jaw. His face. Even so, yeah, they're trying to for for the those listening. If you want the visual, just uh, look up at Idiot Pants Nine, 
and time to go to a dentist <laughs> as he... At, at idiot pants nine. <laughs> this idiot's trying to use a, uh, a picnic table as a slide. And of course, as soon as his body weight hits the bottom, it falls and his face goes directly into the other table. Breaking. Also known as idiot pants nine broken teeth. <laughs> yeah. What, what a goof, which is why he made the instantaneous GRG segment. The uh, goofs of goofs. Th- this one was a, a funny one. Hey, Ed, I sent it to you for the, the reference. A YouTuber crashed his plane on purpose for views. <laughs> He's now facing Smart up guy. to 20 years in prison as he violated FAA regulations for operating his plane in a careless or reckless manner so as to endanger the life of property or another. I don't what's wrong with just crashing your plane like a fucking weirdo <laughs> for views. I mean, I'm, that's, that's, I'm, I'm watching the video. I just want to see it crash and there it goes. <laughs> and that was not impressive at all. <laughs> yeah, so what an idiot. Um, let me ask you this question. Hey, Ed, if you don't mind here on GRG and the what's real podcast, would you ever eat at Arby's again? After a dead body was found in the freezer at one of its locations. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, I think I'd go. It may, this may be hungry for. for they, they do have the meats, you know. One, one of the first uh, comments. I went to Arby's for the first time in 1999. Ordered a chicken filet sandwich. Never went back. Like, you know, good good cool, feedback. Cool story, bro. Yeah. Jai hops I d- on. I just want to be like, no, you didn't. Yeah, people are idiots. Arby's is, is banging. Yeah, I'm a fan of Arby's. It's not bad. As Vicious Delicious said, I had Arby's for lunch today, and I'm so gassy. Yeah, I, that now that I agree with. Yeah, it can happen. It will happen, especially if you go there ordering beef and cheddars. Yeah, two beef and cheddars. You're, you're going to be tooting. Yeah, you're, your insides are destroyed. Tooting, rooting. Uh, Rude and tootin' even. This is a follow-up story of a goose or goose uh, portion from back in the day, hey, Ed. It's been a while, but we have a follow-up. Uh, two fishermen who were accused of cheating during the Lake Erie Walleye Trail fishing tournament last September after it was discovered their fish were stuffed with lead weights and fish fillets will serve jail time for the crime. Hey, yo. Thank, thank fuck. Yeah, because we were talking about our friend Constantino. Remember, he had... a. Uh, some metal put in his dick to try to win the penis weight contest. And we were going on and on about that old dick metal. We have no follow up to, to Dino. Yeah. And we won't either. So they're, they're each paying a $2,500 fine. Uh, the, the court said half the fine may be suspended. If they choose to make a charitable, charitable donation to um, a tuna restaurant, which is weird. Okay. Yeah. Very weird. Say the least. And he also imposed a three-year suspension of their state fishing licenses. Okay. But here's the thing, hey, Ed, and this is why they went to these lengths. They were set to win $28,760. That's always the name of the game, cash. But Jason Fisher, which, of course, the fucking dude that is the director of the Lake Erie Walleye Trails, last name's Fisher, uh, became suspicious, and they were disqualified from the tournament as the bucket looked like they weighed around four pounds, but the total weight was seven pounds each. So these, you know, they, they shot too high. Hey, Ed, if they would have just went for like four pounds each, they would have never been caught, but they're like going for the gusto. Like we need to to weigh seven pounds each. Dude. I, I've never wanted to talk about fishing less in my life. (laughs) This, these fucking idiots. Like who, who fucking cares? (laughs) They showed Fisher surrounded by competitors slicing open the fish with a knife and pulling out what he said was a lead ball. Yeah, congratulations, you <laughs> fucking weirdos. <laughs> but we do Jesus. represent uh, Erie here on the show. No, we do. Speak speak for yourself. Did, did you hear uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 now holds the world record for most prosthetics used in a film with a combined total of 22,500 prosthetics more than what has been used in whorehouses in Indonesia. <laughs> the record was previously held by How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So can you believe that? Hey, they beat out the Who's. Yeah. Because I guess they have them uh, all those aliens to make up. Yeah, I would think so, but I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, 
we have more prosthetics than you. Like, okay. Yeah, cool. I wanted uh, I wanted to shout this out because we 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 have said on the What's Real podcast before he is a bona fide national treasure. That's right. I'm talking about our dear friend, close personal friend of ours, one Rick Moranis, the the most gifted all around comedian of his era, and he gave everything up in Hollywood to raise his family. Old Dick Moranis, gotta love Dick Moranis, and, and remember that dude knocked him out like a few years ago. Oh yeah, and he just, and he just took it. Street goof. Yeah, yeah. dude, he, he got that gusto, man. He's built for it. Uh, this one I just sent you. Hey, you know, a woman violently pushes a priest off a stage during a mass live broadcast, and um, injuries included two broken ribs, a broken wrist, broken elbow, and a, a serious, con- a severe concussion. Well, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the did you see the video oh yeah the one yeah, dude because he does a I've double bounce because there's somehow. like a lower part of the stage yeah it's it's almost as funny as uh genuine was last week just the the sign language guy couldn't save him yeah nobody did. even god himself couldn't save this priest as he plummeted 10 feet below but unlike genuine i don't think this dude kept preaching he was he was out cold i'm sure he was and if any, anybody's interested, listen in. It's at Crazy Clips only. Uh, I don't. What do you think the woman's deal was to just jump on the stage and push the priest to what could have been his demise? Um, I don't know. I'd have to say the uh, the power of Christ compelled her. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So great minds. Yeah. Uh, to go off, hey Ed. Um, I was telling you this earlier. This is huge news today. Martha Stewart has become the oldest woman to grace the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Welcome to 2023. Yeah, who's the audience for that, by the way? Snoop. Okay, fair enough. And I don't know, did you see the footage of Corey Feldman in his latest performance? No, but I want to. Yeah, he's probably doing the worst dance ever. Um, we're going to go which off. He's, he's known for. <laughs> yeah, that is true because <laughs> he he plays with those uh he calls them his angels yeah that's what he I calls know, them i don't know if you've seen any of that but uh i just sent it to your messenger so check out his moves but uh he's gonna be at riot fest in chicago with other such acts as the foo fighters and the cure so Corey is coming up in the the music world and i mean his dance looks decent oh i've seen this this is old yeah it's just uh, he's with Vibecat, apparently. He's on the Today Show. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck this dude like. I don't know. I don't understand Corey Feldman as a thing at all. Well, he's a good dancer. I mean, I think that's why. Because he learned mm. from uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, he, he didn't learn anything from how, the looks of it. How to do some moves. Some terrible ass moves. Another one of our legends, a what's real Hall of Famer, Bo Jackson. He says he's had. Yeah, this uh, is cr- yeah, this is insane. He's had hiccups since July, and doctors don't know why. I would lose my fucking mind. Yeah, since July, so we're coming up on a on a year for poor Bo. And um, you know, we all know hiccups suck. Now imagine having them for close to a year. Yeah, Jesus Christ, and, Bo knows hiccups, and this is serious. The sixty year old made the revelation Wednesday on a local radio show when asked how he felt uh, to see. Uh, Tigers alumnus Frank Thomas receive a baseball statue outside the stadium. I wasn't there because I've been dealing with hiccups. I've had the hiccups <laughs> since last July. <laughs> so he missed the uh, the unveiling of the Frank Thomas statue. Because of his hiccups. Yeah, so he he's done everything that everybody tells you to stop the hiccups, including smelling a cor- cor- porcupine's anus. I thought you were going to say smelling Corey Feldman's anus. Yeah, t- say that 15 times fast. I'd, I'd rather Corey smell Feldman's anus, Corey 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 Feldman's anus. I have done, yeah, that was way harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> I have done everything, Jackson said. Scare me, drink water upside down, smell an ass of a porcupine. It doesn't work. End quote. So, I wonder if he's tried holding his breath because that's what always worked for me. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah, he's having a uh, a procedure done this week, so we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, what a crazy thing for <laughs> they're, they're going to remove his head. Yeah, like, like oh, no, no more no more hiccups. They're like, man, this man knows everything because Bo knows except how to get rid of hiccups. Clearly, 
<laughs> so, Jesus. And last but not least, I, I sent this one to you. This was a, a really heartwarming story. Ladies and gentlemen, let us here at the What's Real Podcast introduce you to a dinosaur bird. <laughs> Did you see it, Hey Ed? Yeah, this giant ass bird that looks like it's made of stone. Yeah, it's a, a show bill. Uh, its name is Sushi, which is weird as fuck. But, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, take a look at the Lad Bible. Look up dinosaur bird. Sushi is a showbill stork, also known as a Balenoceps rex. And it's about a five foot, what, like five foot eight, enormous showbill with a shoe shaped beak. And um, as it says on here, look at the size of this bird. Yeah, it has a massive head. It's it's weird looking as shit. It looks like something They'd out of coming. Jurassic Park. I'd like to see one in person. But Dude, if yeah, you had that at his house. It's like, come over and see my fucking stone bird, man. Like the one thing that the J could do to make it aggressive, I would figure out how to do by accident. It would like fucking attack me. You just like drop kick it. And it's like, dude, you killed the shoe shaped beak of the fucking sushi snowbilled stork. <laughs> it's like, sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't know, know that thing was Nobody that told video. me not to look it in the eyes. <laughs> it's like, stop looking it at the eyes. Like, I'm just going to kick it. But as I say to my broomus from another moomus between dinosaur birds, Bo Jackson having hiccups for 365 days, purposeful plane crashes, dead bodies in Arby's coolers, cheating fishermen, prosthetics out the ass. Speaking of asses, Nick Moore anus. What can I say? Hey, y'all. Goofs are goofs. So that's about it for us this week here on the show. Uh, if you're listening, feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. And, of course, you can listen each and every week on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and also on ChurchillPictures.com. If you have something you'd like to add to the show, you can do so by email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Uh, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts into the show, because as we know here on the program, that nobody beats the whiz. And, of course, the J, clang, clang. Clang, clang. And, uh, you know, that's where the tag team championships of the podcasting universe. As I rev it up over here. So, hey, yo. Yeah. And I'm going to pass it off to you because I just didn't want to say all the shit after you. So revving it up like only the J can. So, uh, hey, the J, take it away. Revving it up like Nick Nick Moranis. This this is where things go <laughs> off the into the, the witching, witching hour. hour, of course. But let's give a shout out to the Corys. Rest in peace, Corey Hames, since we're talking about Feldman. Revving it up like and rest in peace, Corey Feldman's career. Yes, because he dances like he's on methamphetamines, <laughs> which he may be. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, let's take it home. Love the show. Shout out to the wizard behind the boards. Thank you, Cam, for what you do. That constant, consistent, weekly 16K sound. We love you for it. To those listening, love you. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that's it for us this week here on episode 163. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 164 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real?